This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. again so you can answer on the Carolina Men's Clinic text line. What quarterback would you rather have the rest of the way or maybe whatever kind of future sample size you want? Five years, ten years, right now, whatever you want. 704-570-9610. Would you want Trevor Lawrence or Bryce Young on your football team? Mint Hillbilly said, Trevor Lawrence, duh. (laughs) I love that answer. (laughs) BG wrote in on the text line, if Bryce was on the Jags, they'd be a 10-win team at this point in the season. Not a huge Trevor Lawrence fan. All right, so with that, let's go ahead and dive on in here. Wes, game day dubs right off the rip. What quarterback would you rather have the rest of the way? Number one overall pick, Bryce Young. Uh Uh-huh. Or number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence from a couple years back. Man, this is a a very tough question. If you had to pick today, which quarterback would I rather embark upon in my franchise going forward? I mean, you know I'm a Trevor Lawrence guy. I, I love Trev, man. I would go with Trev. Um... Just from the fact that I think that we we talked about this yesterday, I think from his comment saying, you know, we don't even look like we practice. I think there's communication issues that he's been having with his receivers, hence some of the uh, interceptions that he's thrown this year. He's not without fault, though. You know, he'll have some head scratches uh, every now and again. But when you look at him, I mean, he's having his best season, according to PFF, with that 79.7 grade. And so this is a guy that's been steadily improving. I think if Christian Kirk were there, maybe the the touchdown interception ratio, maybe the stats look a little different. Maybe the offense looks a little bit different uh, out there as well because they've had a lot of injuries at that position. But the physical talent, everything's there. Now, has he been the transcendent quarterback that I thought that he was going to be? No. Has he been a little underwhelming to me from what I thought he was going to do? Because I really thought he was going to come in and rip the NFL up. I really did. He's played well, and he's gotten better gradually. But as far as just the tools, the skill set, everything you get from him, leadership, I mean, he's a consummate quarterback, consummate professional um, I would go with Bryce Young, even though I love Bryce Young and his potential and where he's headed. But I like Trevor Lawrence a little more. Yeah, I mean, as much as I want to say it's a hard decision, I don't really think it's hard right now. I think I would go with Trevor Lawrence even still, even if I also believe in Bryce Young. But if we're talking about a guy in Trevor Lawrence who does get to the postseason last year, yes, with a little help from Brandon Staley does win a playoff game last year. So not even getting there. And remember what he was doing to Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes, they actually had to play some football in the second half in order to win that game against the Jags. And I think there's something to be said for that. You go back to last season, Trevor Lawrence and the Jags, they go 5-0 and in order to go 9-8 and and then end up in that postseason. And I think that's valuable experience. You look at what he did too. Like over 4,000 yards already. He does have the size. Trevor Lawrence hasn't done enough underwhelming, even though he's certainly done some, but there hasn't been enough of an underwhelming feeling for me to give up on Trevor or just say, Mm -hmm. nah, he's not ever going to be able to figure it out. No, it's not like some of these other guys. I will say when a QB was tabbed as being generational, like Trevor Lawrence was, which is absolutely true. Those guys always figured it out. The the presses did not get that wrong. When you were John Elway, John Elway becomes a hall of famer. Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning becomes a Hall of Famer. Andrew Luck, 
Andrew Luck, not a Hall of Famer, even though he's eligible now. Weird, because he just retired five years ago. One of the where were you kind of moments. Dang, he's been gone five years. I know. I know. It's crazy. Still remember where I was when that news was on the crawl of ESPN. Andrew Luck was still sweet out here, though. Like, I, I love Andrew Luck. I know a lot of people don't like him because, yeah, he didn't want to come out and play for Carolina. I get that. I get the old-fashioned fan base hate for somebody that didn't want to play for you. Very John Elway style with the Colts, by the way. Um, but Andrew Luck was really good. And I, it would have been interesting to see what he did. All that to say, Trevor has not completed what those other guys did. Those other guys also didn't have Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer was a, just an awful decision to bring yes, in, in, in hindsight for sure. And I still think that there are enough tools and enough accuracy and enough of, of a production level for him to be a good QB. Again, what I hate about this question is usually we have to hate on the other side, and I don't want to do that. Like, it, it didn't go Bryce's way for most of the year. We're hoping that he can end on a positive note. So that's the who. Fiddy, do you want to share before you talk about how you never get to share your opinions on these airwaves? Did you want to share what QB you'd rather have? Um, it's, it's difficult because I am a Bryce guy. I think I would go with Trevor just because I've seen more of him. And he come, he came back from 27 points down in the playoffs. Like, he has that it factor. We've seen him on the big stage perform at the highest level. But I think... They're going to be neck and neck over the next 10 to 15 years with their stats, production, and wins. Yeah, Gashouse Earl said, funny you guys are on the subject. I keep telling people that Trevor is the only QB in the last 10 years that I would have traded up to get, given up what we gave to get Bryce. And that's not hindsight. That's literally just seeing what he did in college and what I thought he would do in the NFL. And then 980 said, I'll just say this. If you look at Trevor Lawrence's career numbers in comparison to Mac Jones, all caps, not that much better easily. Bryce Young, that's Quay from Charlotte writing in. All right. So there's a couple of decision makers there between Trevor and Bryce Young. You got something? Uh, no, I just thought that that was interesting because when you get into the the stat comparison up against each other, that gets so – it lacks nuance in a lot of ways when you see yep. it because somebody did that with uh, Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady in their regular season record over their first few seasons as well. And somebody was like, well, put the playoff record in or put this in or put that in. So – that's wise. I mean, we we can watch Mac Jones. We can see what he's done. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, as you just uh, talked about and Fiddy said as well, I mean, has taken his team to the playoffs, has come back in a big spot in a playoff game at one. And Mac Jones hasn't come close to that with arguably, well, with the greatest NFL coach of all time, in my opinion. Plus, I don't know exactly how true that is when you say Trevor Lawrence career numbers in comparison to Mac Jones, not that much better. I mean, I don't know. Rookie season was and bad. You say not that much better. Yeah, <laughs> they're still better. A rookie season, I just throw away because of one of the worst head coaching experiments I think that we've ever seen. And not to mention rookie years are rookie years. You know, you're not going to have uh, those numbers. But yeah, I mean, Mac Jones goes 22 and 13 the rookie year, but then he goes 14 and 11. And then this year he's 10 to 12. So uh, Trev is 12 to 17, 25 to 8. And this year, 19 to 12. He'll probably finish up with around 25 touchdowns probably 14 15 picks somewhere in that room. now now the interesting question comes in from patty daddy on the text line i will take bryce on a rookie deal compared to paying trevor lawrence 50 mil per year whatever that number looks like it's going to be a yeah. lot now that's the interesting convo i i pay trevor i'm just you I'm have to if you're the jaguars it. my boy hit me up with that question uh just this weekend and he was like yo what would you do if you're the jaguars and trevor lawrence comes marching in there wanting $50 million, but it's like, you know, you get put in a position by these quarterbacks that if you've got one that you feel like you can win with consistently, you got to pay them. And like I said, I still think Jacksonville is another offseason away from really 
supplying him with mm-hmm. everything he needs. All right, so let's go to the what. What is a key stat heading in to this weekend? I'll start with the what. Josh Allen has 13 and a half recorded sacks this season. When he records a sack in a game, there are only two games this entire year that he has one or less. So what that means is when he gets home, he gets home multiple times a game and he beats up on whomever is the guy trying to block him. He has a real chance to take away not only one, but multiple plays in this game. So hopefully Carolina is ready to go. Iki Aquanu, if Josh Allen is lining up right in front of you, we know how athletic he is. Seventh overall pick really has had a very, very nice season rushing the passer. And even overall, defensively, Josh Allen has been good. So that's my stat for you, Wes. 13 and a half sacks this season, but only in just two games when he's recorded a sack has he recorded less than one. He beats up on who, like he sees the matchup and it reminds me of the water boy where the kicker is looking for the guy that he wants to kick the onside kick to. And he says, oh yeah, there's my bleep. Josh Allen just <laughs> continues to roll and roll and get home. And that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. Can, can he just wreck this game because he gets in the backfield too often? He's certainly capable of doing that. And my stat, normally I don't like to break up the run and pass defense, but Jacksonville's averaging uh, 257 yards per game that they're allowing. And so uh, why do I bring that up? Because a lot of you out there still feel like Bryce, and obviously he has a long way to go, but a lot of people feel like that performance was indicative of the team he was playing against. Well, here's another team with a passing game that's ripe for the picking uh, for him to be able to go in there and do what he needs to do and so if he comes out and plays well against them I wonder what people will say then well it was Jacksonville's defense but this is a team that's fighting for their playoff lives so they have plenty to play for and are going to be playing as hard as they can. Dynamic producer also has a key stat. What you got, Fitty? My stat, I got two of them. The ja- the Jaguars you can are only do four one. in their last four games and in the four game <laughs> losing streak they're giving up 29 and a half points per game. This defense is vulnerable, and this offense is ready to take the next step. This is a good week to do it. You see, he tried to one-up us right there, getting his two stats in to I won, huh? It's okay. That's, like, that's how you get dynamic, Wes. It's competitive, <laughs> right? Whatever you do, I can do something better. You want one stat? I'll give you two. Yeah. I do like at least the sense of competition. <laughs> the win on the game day dubs is this when Brian Burns gets home himself and posts a sack. It's been a little bit, Wes. It's been four <laughs> games. Four games since he brought a man down in that backfield at the quarterback position. I think the answer to this is yes. You have four QBs sacked more than anyone in the league, and they're on Mount Sackmore, if you will. Sam Howell, Bryce Young, Zach Wilson, and Russell Wilson. Those guys are in a neighborhood all by themselves. Russell Wilson is last on that list, and he's been sacked 45 times. Bryce Young, Sam Howell, Zach Wilson, they're like in a different stratosphere. After those guys... A lot of the dudes are within a couple of each other, including Trevor Lawrence. You have a bunch of guys tied with being sacked 36 times, and then Lawrence is right there at 35. So they're in the top 10, and it's very similar once you get past Mount Sackmore. I just love saying it again. (laughs) I think this is the time. Cam Robinson, we're not sure if he's going to come back. He's actually been a pretty good pass protector. They really struggle when he's out, and I think you see it in the run game. You also see it in pass protection. So don't exactly know what's going to happen with their left tackle from Alabama. If he's in, I still think Brian Burns is a good enough pass rusher to get home there. It's been a while. Their O-line hasn't been good. I think the answer is yes to this question, Wes. I think we finally see him do it after a while. Uh, I'm a little nervous. I'm not 100% confident in saying it, but I'm going to say yes because the two tackles currently listed on their depth chart right now, Anton Harrison and Walker Little, 
uh, no relation to Walker Mail. Yeah, not too many first names. In relation, yeah, that's right, know? not too many. Of them. But uh, both of these guys are ranked in the 60s for tackles. So uh, these aren't, you know, this is not Orlando Pace and Eric Williams or somebody like that out there. So he should be able to make some plays on this unit, even though I know that they'll have their attention out for him. But Brian Burns is a guy, when you look at uh, his double team percentage, he doesn't see a ton of them. They got to do it to Derrick uh, Brown. Uh, yeah, they definitely have to pay their attention to him. But 15% of the time, Brian Burns is double teams, so if they're going to disrespect him, I would imagine he feels in his mind and just block him with one guy. Yeah, I mean, these aren't the greatest tackles. I'll answer your question with a question of my own. If not now, when? <laughs> That's dynamic right that there. That was. That's pretty wow. damn good. Let's just, what a dismount. Yeah. That's it from Fiddy. Let's just, let's just move on. Cadence, everything. That I'm, was strong. I'm going to answer your question with a non-answer and just move on and transition. Let's go to the where. Uh, where is the key matchup on the field in this game uh, against the Jags? You want to go first on this one, Wes? What kind of key matchup do you got for us? Uh, definitely, it's going to be Josh Allen going up against Iki Aquanu. Uh, when you look at what Iki's done this year, he's played a little bit better ball as of late, but still had a really tough season, and he's tasked with the assignment of blocking one of the best pass rushers uh, in all of football. And so that's a worrisome matchup. Uh, Iquano has definitely had some some good players that he's gone against in the last few games, but you know this is going to be one of the best that he's seen when you talk about a top five guy in the league in terms of sacks. So he's got to be ready to go. Just because I don't want to say the same thing Wes did, I'll go to the wide receivers versus the secondary. They got to make plays in 50 50. Panther secondary is what you're saying? Or no, the Panthers wide receivers against okay. the Jacksonville secondary. They got to make plays on 50 50 balls. They did last week. It was a big reason why they had a chance to win the game. Yeah, I like that. Thank um, you. My wear. <laughs> You're kind of on one today. I don't know. You just got a little, I don't know. You got a little spicy. It's yeah. not turned up to 10. It's like at a five, six spice level right now. I do kind of like it. Where I think the matchup is going to be Evan Ingram versus whoever's in coverage. Evan Ingram linebackers, Frankie Louvu, Evan Ingram, Xavier Woods, maybe. Who are the safeties that might be coming down? Whatever nickel. Because since that Bengals game that they lost in overtime, Ingram caught 34 of 42 targets. That's an 81% catch rate for 300 yards, three touchdowns. That brings his season total to 98 catches from the tight end position on 820 yards and three touchdowns. So if you look at the 98 total catches this year, that's the most among tight ends in the league. His 824 yards is the fourth most at that position. So a lot of dink and dunks because I think the offensive line isn't good enough. Wide receivers aren't fast enough, despite Ridley being a good route runner. They're not fast enough getting downfield Miami Dolphins style. So he does have to get the football out of his hands. When he does that, he looks for his security blanket in Evan Ingram. And Wes, if you remember last year, Ingram not used a ton for the first like 10 games, but the last six games, that's when that connection really developed. And we didn't know if he was going to come back, but then there was the franchise tag. Eventually, he signs with them. And so you're talking about Ingram being a huge part of this offense right now. And it was the same thing at the end of last season. Now you're going up against a Panthers team whose defense gives up the fourth least passing yards per game. So to me, you might think, okay, well, they defend the tight end position pretty well. They might defend their number one options. I think to me, that actually makes me a little more scared that Ingram is going to get more involved because if they're defending well, I think of J.C. Horn being still a strong suit. I think of Xavier Woods on the back end helping out whoever gets past their guys, that being a strong suit. 
To me, that means Lawrence is going to have to try to get rid of the ball faster. Look at the middle of the field. Luvu, I don't, he's not terrible in coverage. Maybe we have different opinions on that. I don't think he's terrible, but he's certainly not great. Mm-hmm. And Ingram is going to win those matchups. Ingram is a better tight end than Luvu is as a coverage linebacker. And so that is something Ingram's going to win. How often does he do it? And whoever is in coverage against him, that's my key matchup. Yeah. Can, can you slow him down? And if you do, I really like their chances if they're able to. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I like a lot about Frankie Louvu's game, but coverage, like you said, we 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 differ there. I mean, he's giving up 72% uh, reception percentage and a 105 uh, passer rating when he's targeted. So if I'm Trevor it's Lawrence, I'm definitely going to try to uh, find that matchup and exploit that. But the, the question is, for Carolina, is, yeah, the pass defense has been there, but a lot of the reason that it is there is because the run defense is 21st in the league. And so if you're Jacksonville, that's what I'm going to try to exploit first and foremost. And then I'm going to stick that ball in ETN's gut and pull it out if we're having success and go down the football field to where we've seen that there are big plays to be had on this defense if you're having success uh, rushing the football. So I think that will be Jacksonville's first order of operation to attack this Panthers defense. Well, the good news is they suck at running the football. And I love ETN. I think he's a good player. I think it's all because of that line. I mean, they've been awful. ETN's averaging 3.6 yards per carry. You look at their rushing success, their efficiency, it's going nowhere. And remember, they drafted Tank Bigsby to try to help them in short yardage situations. They tried that out for like the first two games of the season. Didn't work. He falls back to the third string running back spot. Dearness, Dearness Johnson pops up and he's not finding any more success as far as an efficiency standpoint goes. And so they're just not running it as well. I love ETN. I'd like to see them actually use him a little bit more as a wide receiver. I'd like to see them actually put him in the slot more and then just run wheel routes because wheel routes, us Madden players, we all know it's the number one most unstoppable <laughs> route in the game. Um but they just haven't been efficient. No matter how much I like the player, it just the line hasn't been good enough. Let's go to the final one. Why? Why do the Panthers win this game? Why do the Panthers have a chance to win this game, West? Uh, because they pick up from the success that they had last week and offensively are clicking on all cylinders. They're protecting Bryce Young at a rate in which they've rarely done this year, and they're running the ball with some success. I mean, Chuba Hubbard's averaging uh, 70 yards a game over his last five games, so that means that the offense is clicking on all cylinders, and then hopefully the defense can be better against the run, like he said. Each team, which one is going to show up? Is it going to be the Panthers' defense, run defense that hasn't been so great, or is it going to be Jacksonville's running game that hasn't been so great? One of the two. Something's got to give there. What you got, Fiddy? Uncle Mo's on their side. They, you know, they haven't lost four straight like Jacksonville. Their quarterback isn't saying they don't look like they haven't practiced in weeks, and, and it feels like they're as confident as they've been at any point in the year, despite coming off a loss. It's because Bryce Young continues to beat up on a bad defense. If you look at Jacksonville, they're the eighth worst in total yards per game allowed. They're fourth worst in passing yards allowed per game. We just went over all the QBs that have gotten off on them. Joe Flacco, Jake Browning. Like those guys use that game as the starting point to continue what Fiddy calls Uncle Mo. And those QBs have been playing well here. Joe Flacco, while he's throwing interceptions, we see him last night, man. Like Joe Flacco is... Like good old Baltimore Joe Flacco again, except he's throwing downfield. Like he's letting that thing loose. And it all starts against Jacksonville. We've just seen it too many times. So I would love for that to continue. I would love for Bryce Young to be able to beat up on what people called Green Bay a bad defense. It's here too. Like Josh Allen is the guy that can wreck it. 
And there's a possibility there. I know Aluakon is a really good tackler. And so, you know, if you stay away from him, that's another guy. Like, they're not void of talent all over the place. But we've seen this team get destroyed in the passing game a few times, especially in the last, like, five. They haven't figured it out, really, the last five games. And so I'm hoping they continue to not figure it out. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The replacements flounder. Present. Fitty. Nope. Okay. Uh, Smoke. Great to be on, yeah. There you go. I mean, we're we're doing a roll call? Yes. That was what I was doing. Shrop. Present. There we go. By the way, does Shrop know? See, Shrop, Shrop understands what's going on. But you two guys, you just off in a different space. Smoke's actually probably looking something legitimate up. I don't know what. I don't nah, know what he's just doing. scrolling. He's just well, death you, scrolling oh, Twitter, dude. Here's the, here's the problem, though. I don't think Stroppy much- knows the meaning of that song or what was originated that song, Jump by Van Halen. Okay. I, mean, I definitely know the song. Uh, not uh, Van Halen, but uh, lead singer. Oh, gosh. David Lee Roth. Yes. He was watching a guy... Uh, Jump? Yeah, bridge. Jump. And he's like, might as well jump. Very dark meaning to this song originally. Boy, that really brings me down because this is one of my favorite Van Halen songs. Yeah, you, didn't know that, you didn't know that's how he came up with the lyrics. I gotta be, I did not. Did you know that Panama is about a car? I thought it was about a canal. Uh-huh. No, it's about a car. Well, that's not the, could have also been page. about the country, but sure. Okay. Any other interesting uh, music no. facts? <laughs> no, you're out? All I think right. That's all I got for right now. All right. Well, the Carolina Panthers, uh, let's get into their game against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. You missed an opportunity. You said we could uh, jump into the conversation. Oh, there we go. Oh, come on. Yeah, that was that was poor. I'm, I'm not I'm not the best uh, in transition offense, apparently. <laughs> um, but look, the Panthers with a chance to take down Jacksonville. Ruin, I mean, we talked about it yesterday. There is a chance for the Panthers to play spoiler yet again. But even still, even if, let's say, the Panthers do find a way to play spoiler, and even if the Jaguars were to miss the playoffs, it really is amazing where this Jacksonville team has come from even Trevor Lawrence's rookie year when they had Urban Meyer as their head coach. I mean, Doug Peterson has done a tremendous job. It shows you that Doug Peterson really is one of the better coaches in the league with what he's been able to do. The fact that they have the expectations that they have in that city. um, I I think that's, that's something that, you know, here Carolina Panther fans would like to be able to get back to that because right now the expectation level for Carolina Panther fans, it's pretty much, can you show us some sort of life in each game so that we actually want to keep watching the game that's on television? Or are we just going to say, ah, not our day, we're turning the television off. That's where you're at as a Panther fan, which is amazing considering where some of this franchise's highs have been, two Super Bowls. 
The thing is, though, you look at the blueprint that Jacksonville had to build back. They took a quarterback number one overall, Trevor Lawrence. He struggled a little bit out of the gate his rookie season, three and fourteen. Um, you know, d- definitely look at the touchdown interception numbers. wasn't great. And now, you know, they they're coming off a year where they went nine and eight, won a playoff game. And now they have a chance to make the playoffs yet again. They win this. Is it that if they win this game, they win the division? I don't I, think that's the case. Okay. There's like, it's like, I think three teams in the AFC South are all at eight and seven. But it would still put them in a really good spot and right. a chance to win that division yet again. And look, earlier in the season, we were talking about this team as one that could potentially factor in, in the AFC. If there is, any way they could possibly get Trevor Lawrence somewhat healthy, you would feel like they would have a pretty legitimate shot. So the question is, is this kind of grow up, quick grow up what you think could be possible for Bryce Young and the Carolina Panthers? Is this a blueprint that you think the can- the Panthers are capable of executing. I'll start with you, Smoke, because you said earlier, a little bit skeptical about Scott Fitterer, if he stays in place, that the Panthers would be able to be contenders again really quickly. What do you think, though? Is this is what Jacksonville has done something that the Panthers can sort of emulate? I think in some cases they could look at some of the stuff that's happened and say, all right, we can take a little bit of this and take a little bit of that. It's a little too early, in my opinion, to look at what they've done in draft. I know they had a lot of draft picks this past season, but they're all rookies, so it's kind of hard to tell. But, like, uh, Trayvon Walker, he's not really worked out, I think, the way that they were hoping for as the number one overall pick. But one of the things that I feel like we learned, I remember you go back to the first day of free agency for the Jaguars in uh, 2022. So after the first year of trevor lawrence they made a massive contract signing for christian kirk to the point where people Mm -hmm. were like what the hell are they doing this is one of the dumbest things ever turned out christian kirk was a a very good wide receiver uh, for the jaguars and you know he's turned out to be one of their mainstays and been one of trevor lawrence's favorite targets I, i think you might need to overpay just a little bit for one of these wide receivers if you want to get them even if they may not be the best, they they still could be very good. And you can get one of those wide receivers overpay for him a little bit, and then you could reap the benefits. Also, what I, I another thing that's really played huge dividends for the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence's growth has been the fact that they got a tight end. Evan Ingram finally found himself in Jacksonville. He always oh, had of course he did. He always had the potential in New York. He just had a little bit of the dropsies. Yes. And now he's finally found his role with the Jaguars and then they signed him to a one year prove it deal. And uh, then, you know, sign him to a big uh, deal this past offseason. So I think that's the way you kind of go. Maybe take a chance on the guy that you wouldn't usually take a chance on. It's a low-risk move as well. And then you possibly reap the benefits and sign him to a long-term contract for one of these weapons, potentially. I mean, look, the interesting part, right, is you've got to make the right moves as a front office this offseason if you're going to have Bryce take that type of step in year two that we saw from Trevor because – The weapons that Trevor has are clearly better than the one. I mean, Smoke just laid some of them out right there. You've got a good running game as well, or one that can be good at times. I know it's not, it hasn't been the greatest so far this year. I I think it's all about, and and look, I mean, Trevor Lawrence also saw his coach fired 
in his first season there. But the thing is, is that they made a tremendous hire. I don't know, and maybe you guys disagree with this, I don't know if there is a guy out there that the Panthers can hire that would inspire as much confidence as Doug Peterson. Because I always thought Doug Peterson was a, was a really good head coach in Philly. I thought he got... He, he took the blame, and I didn't really understand it, but I thought he was always a really good coach there, led the team to a Super Bowl. So, I mean, I, I just, to me, can you find that type of coach? Maybe it is a young guy, but that's going to be the ultimate thing, finding the right coach and putting the players around Bryce Young. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing you got to look at is that should you expect this type of turnaround that you, that you saw in Jacksonville? No, but it's possible the NFL is the league you see the most teams go from worst to first. You might see it in baseball depending on, you know, the way a team spends its money, the way, you know, their farm system grows up like in Baltimore, but it's possible, right? And they did it while missing on the number one overall draft pick. So, like, that's another thing that you're like, okay, we've missed on some draft picks, but if we nail this draft and we nail two or three free agent signings at the skill position, uh, at, the, at the skill position, maybe it's possible. And then you mentioned the hire that could inspire this type of confidence. I go back to Jim Harbaugh. Like every guy that guy, everywhere that guy goes, he builds a winner. And everywhere he goes, he gets really, really good quarterback play. No matter who his quarterback is, Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick. You know, you look at he's done at Michigan. Look what he did at Stanford with Andrew Luck. Um, like you're telling me, if 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 Dave Tepper convinces him to leave college leave his alma mater, comes and he comes to this franchise, you're not going to come to that guy can get the most out of Bryce Young. Like, that's where I'm at. Like, to me, like, as much as I would be interested in hiring Bill Belichick, because when you're when you when you're the Panthers, you just can't say no to the greatest coach of all time. You've at least got to make the phone call. Jim Harbaugh is the hire that would inspire the most confidence on a level like Doug Peterson did when he got paired with Trevor Lawrence. Well, to me, Jim Harbaugh's ahead of Bill Belichick for one reason, one reason only, in order to get Belichick, you got to trade for him. Well, like they just is, signed him to an extension, so he could easily get fired. I see. I don't. Are they going to actually fire him? Like to me, my thing is, I believe Jerry Jones fired Tom Landry. You don't think Robert Kraft would fire Bill well, Belichick? Jerry Jones is clearly a dumber overall person, I think, than than Robert Kraft. Well, then wow. again, at the time. At the time, I mean, Tom Landry was at the end of his run. I My thing, though, is they just signed him to the extension. Do I think if they hadn't signed him to the extension that they would have potentially fired him? Yeah, I think that was possible. But here's my thing. I, To me, L.A. is going to make that call, right? They will they will trade assets to get him as their head coach. Because I, I, I feel like in their minds, they've got the quarterback. They have a lot of pieces in place. And they feel like they just need a coach that someone can actually believe in because Brandon Staley, I mean, how in the world is that guy inspiring anybody? Like the dude literally could not even coach the side of the football that he was a coordinator on. So Bill Belichick would inspire confidence there. It's a, it's a much to me, it, it, it's a much better fit for Bill because late in your career, you don't want to have to go through a rebuild. Jim Harbaugh would be interesting. Maybe to me, like the reason I don't, I, I think that every time and why I ask the question of who is that guy, I don't think there's any, I don't see him leaving college. I just don't. I, I think maybe like, 
are you rooting for them to win the national championship? Because if he wins the national championship, he's kind of accomplished everything he can accomplish in college, right? Well, yes, I am because I am a closet Michigan man. They okay. are my second favorite school. If you're a Panther fan, are you rooting for them to win the national championship? Yes, because it, it opens the door for him to leave. Because, he, yeah, he has a natty. He restored the program to national prominence. And the guy, like, the guy wants to be in the NFL. Like, he's flirted with, the, he's flirted with returning the last two years. They offered him a major contract extension with an NFL clause in it because they know the guy wants to be back coaching in the pros. And so, yes, I, I think he wants to be back in the NFL. It's got to be the right job and maybe the right price, which is where, you know, Daddy Warbucks and his money comes into play because Dave Tepper can pay him whatever he wants. But is Carolina the right job for him? That's going to be the bigger question. I mean, I, I got to tell you, for him, this has got to be up there because, I mean, we haven't really heard him tied to the Chargers. I mean, maybe maybe you guys have. I haven't really heard that name come up for them. Now, it's going to be this job in the Bears, I think, would be the two most attractive. And the thing about the Bears job is they have to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. Well, it looks like it's, I mean, all but settled that they're not going to keep Justin Fields. It feels like the early scuttlebutt right now is Justin Fields is going to get traded to Atlanta this offseason. I mean, yeah, if they do that, okay, you get Harbaugh in. Harbaugh then gets to pick his quarterback. Now, that that's probably the one thing that you're worried about. I will say this, though. Like, there's pressure on the next coach that comes in here to win. There's pressure for him to develop a guy like Bryce Young because you spent the first pick on him. There, it is nothing like the pressure in Chicago. I mean, Chicago, they desperately want a winner. That fan base is starved. This fan base is too, but that's a big city. So maybe Jim Harbaugh would look at this and say, eh, it's, you know, it's it's a little bit of an easy media market to come into. The expectations are probably a little bit lower. I could immediately turn this team into a contender where, I mean, look, I don't know. Do we think that there's long-term staying power for the Lions? I would probably lean no based on history, based on franchise history. But I, I mean, I think the NFC South might be more attractive to him. So yeah, I mean, I could I could see arguments for both sides. But I don't know. To me, if if you make that higher, then yes, I think you could probably feel pretty confident about Bryce taking that step forward. Now. GM, I mean that th that move that move has to be made in order for this to have any chance, right? Like, are we feeling like we're at that point with Scott Fitter, or are we still giving him the benefit of the doubt that Rule had final personnel say up until this year? I think it's one of those situations where you can't go half measures; you got to go full measure and completely just eliminate the 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 only front office guy just eliminate and start fresh with a clean slate because you haven't done that yet on both GM and coach at the same time. Yep. I think the one guy that probably will stay in the front office, like the one key guy, is Samir Suleiman. Outside of that, I think everyone else that's a key member, Fitterer, Morgan, so on and so forth, they're all gone. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you know he was you know was he handcuffed by Matt Rule? Yes. But you look at this draft, you look at free agency. I think there's enough X's there, enough misses where you can be like, okay, maybe you're not going to be the guy moving on or moving forward. So you, you fire him. You hire Cam to be your team president. You find your GM to pair with Jim Harbaugh. And then, and then, and then you start anew, and it's a beautiful era of a Panther football in Carolina because that's the one thing you got to do. You can't fire a coach and then have the GM 
hire another coach, and then just keep like you know when it, you got to do it full, all the way 100. percent You fired Frank, fire fire Scott, and and and, and, and find a new uh, marriage between front office and GM. Well, the thing is, right? He hasn't done enough to make you say this would be a regrettable decision. Even if you feel like okay, it's not all on him. We still feel like he could be a good GM. He's not doing such a great job where it's like there is no possible way we can fire him. And since you fired the head coach, because you can't get into a scenario where you hire, I mean, even if it's not Jim Harbaugh, let's say you hire uh, Ben Slowick, the offensive coordinator from Houston, and you know he is part of the decision-making process, but then you realize, again, another poor draft, guys don't pan out. He makes another trade or two that just has you scratching your head that doesn't work. You fire him at the end of next season. I mean, then you're right back. I mean, you're in the same spot of we are firing somebody every single offseason. And is this new GM that would come in next year going to mesh with the guy that came in the previous year? So I think you probably have no choice. You're kind of trapped into letting him go. But at the same time, I don't really know if that is the worst thing. Um, and ultimately, I mean, if you if you nail these hires, front office is clearly a lot harder. I know there are some names that have come out that have people intrigued, but clearly we don't know as much about the front office guys as we do the head coaching guys. But if you nail both of those hires, I think you're going to have a chance to take that type of leap, even if you don't get to nine and eight. Maybe, and in this division, it's certainly possible, but even if you can get seven, eight wins, be right in the thick of it, maybe even sneak into the playoffs as an eight-win football team next year, I think you you would consider yourself pretty lucky, and you'd, you'd think that's great development for Bryce. I mean, right now, the, as much as winning is the most important thing, everyone knows that. Of course. The two things this franchise needs more than anything right now is stability and identity under David Tepper. Because they've had neither during his ownership. Absolutely. And I feel like Jim Harbaugh is the type of guy that would bring both stability and identity here. Um, and you get him with the right GM, you know. Then, because like, if 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 Jacksonville, if Detroit, if Cleveland, if these sorry half-ass franchises can do it, then wow. I think I, then I think this franchise that has gone to two Super Bowls. That has, you know, a lot of good history and it's, you know, less than 30 years in the NFL. There's no reason why they can't turn it around as quickly as some of these other places have. All right. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. We'll see. Big offseason again for the Carolina Panthers. Still waiting on the decision on Scott Fitter. But, uh, of course, plenty to talk to this uh, talk about this offseason, even though the Panthers do not have that number one overall pick. Speaking of a lot of other things to talk about. Let's go to Shrop for a little shropping it like it's hot. Shroppy, what you got back there, brother? All righty, gentlemen. So we had talked about the college football playoff semifinals that are happening uh, happening on New Year's Day. But there is some other college football games happening on New Year's Day. Uh, if you wake up feeling hungover, just want to watch some football. Hell yeah. We have Wisconsin and LSU at 12. Liberty in Oregon at one, and also Iowa and Tennessee at one, and uh, the 
5 o'clock game between Alabama and Michigan. Obviously, it doesn't start until 5. So if you want to watch something else, give something else a try, you can give the old NHL Winter Classic a go. Oh, oh, dude, you were doing so good, starts It starts at 3 p.m. You can just some, have something to have on the TV until that Michigan-Alabama game starts. It's the Golden Knights and the Kraken. If you've never watched a Winter Classic game, I highly recommend it. It's so cool to see them play hockey outdoors. It's going to be cracking, isn't it? In a, in a baseball state. It'll, it'll be a pretty cool environment because it's in... Uh, uh, T-Mobile Park. That's what it's called. I was going to say Safeco Field. That's what it used to be a uh, long time ago. But, I mean, we saw the All-Star game this year for baseball. Very cool. Um, that'll be a cool environment. But, I mean, I don't know. The other... Those other games that they're playing on New Year's Day, I got to be honest. Don't care. I, why are they playing them on that day? Play, play them earlier. on Saturday. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, let them have that stage. It, it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me at all. Well, no, let them play it. They could even play them on Sunday. No, that's the NFL day. Yeah. No, uh, that's true. Yeah, there's no games on New Year's Eve this year, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I just, to me, well, you'd have to move up other bowl games. That's the thing. You got to start some of these other bowl games. You got to have these games be played earlier because, yeah, we've just now, this will be the second straight day where we'll see four bowl games on at a time. But, yeah, cramming games like that, I mean, what's what's the most intriguing one out of that? I, I mean, the New Year's Six Bowl game is probably the most intriguing, Oregon and Liberty. But, I mean, even that one, like, I don't it know. It feels I'm, like Oregon's going to boat race them. I mean, it's possible, but I will say this. I think Liberty will put up a fight in that one. I know, like, the argument yesterday, uh, Brad Crawford of 24-7 Sports said that SMU's performance – uh, and I forget what other team, Tulane's performance maybe that he yeah, pointed to. Yes, Virginia. Uh, he said that that's the reason why the group of five shouldn't be in the college football playoff. Yeah, let's not wait until the team that's actually in the New Year's Six Bowl game uh, plays for that uh, for, for the group of five to make a judgment on that. So uh, we'll see. Appreciate you, Strop. Great stuff uh, all week, brother. And uh, when we come back, it's time to shut this down. And you know how I have to do it on a football Friday. We'll pick the game between the Panthers and and the Jags also give our closing arguments on the way out. You're listening to The Replacements on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. There's more of today's latest and greatest coming up next on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fans. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. Now we check in with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. The Cover 3 pod, the CBS Sports Network, you can see him on TV, as I understand it, here in just under an hour on the CBS Sports Network, but he's making time for us here on the final show of 2023. Chip Patterson, we appreciate you. Where are you in your travels right now, my friend? Uh, I am with Sherry. He uh, did an excellent job. Scoop me at the airport, and I'm on my way to the hotel. Be on CBS Sports Network at 5:20 Eastern time. So uh, come hang out and uh, watch me talk about uh, talk about the Michigan Wolverines today. Ooh, Michigan! What are you gonna say about the Michigan Wolverines today? X factor is going to be JJ McCarthy's leg because we remember he was dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury, the shoulder injuries. And if you go back and you look at some of the offenses that have been able to uh, be successful against Alabama's defense, I mean, Auburn ran the ball well, but a lot of that was the quarterback run. And I know that the end, the final score 
uh, was, you know, a little bit more lopsided and double digits. But Jaden Daniels, LSU, did a great job of running the football. So if you're trying to think about the ways that Michigan can keep Alabama's excellent defense off balance, uh, it's definitely going to be needing to get J.J. McCarthy going in the run game. I like that. I like that. Got to get J.J. McCarthy going in the run game. Um, any quick? So give me, give me the full breakdown then. Texas and Washington on the other side. Um, I'm rooting for Washington, but something in the back of my head is telling me Texas. I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, this is a, a Washington team that's been doubted at every turn, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, they have won nine consecutive games by 10 points or less. Research department says that since we split up into the FBS and the FCS, or then 1A and 1AA in 1973, we have not had nine consecutive wins by 10 points or less. I mean, do, do they have the elusive clutch gene? You know, is there in Seattle? What is there about the trust between coaches and players? Uh, what is it about Michael Penix Jr. that allows them to be able to come up uh, big in, in close moments? I think that Texas's ceiling is higher, but if you want the X factor, how about this? Texas ranks number 121 in the country in converting red zone opportunities to touchdowns. If they continue to get into scoring position and only walk away with three, that leaves the door open for Washington to get better. So, again, if Texas is converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns and when Texas is running hot, it is the better team. But the reason why you find yourself drawn to this Washington team is they continue to prove doubters wrong, and you do know that Texas does have a weakness. Chip Patterson, CBSSports.com, with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Uh, Clemson just completed a comeback over Kentucky. They, they win the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl 36 35 or 38 I forget which one it was. Smoke, what do we have? 38 35. That's what I thought. 38 35. Um, it, it's a bowl game, right? So let's just, they don't get any real prize for that other than the trophy. But you know, this is about Clemson and momentum and hope for next year, Chip. What does a win like today do for Clemson's program? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It speaks to just sort of like where that defense is. I was watching that game on the airplane, and uh, I did not think Cade Klubnik was great in that game. Um, you know, Phil Moffa ends up walking away with four touchdowns. Klubnik does make enough plays. But, you know, as I'm looking at the, the future of the Clemson offense, year two of Garrett Riley, you know, what Cade Klubnik's going to look like coming back. I mean, it's just it is a really good thing for the Clemson Tigers that there is such a solid foundation with the way that team plays on defense, with the way that they've recruited on the defensive side of the football. Um, and, you know, just overall the resilience of that team because and they gave up some ex- – I, I realize I'm complimenting a defense. They gave up some explosive plays there in the second half that led to a little bit of a wild finish. But, uh, but still, you know, if we're taking notes looking into 2024, and I'm, I'm looking at a Clemson team that – they have tried in the transfer portal to get, I know, a couple of offensive linemen. They've tried unsuccessfully. But whatever they can do to, to scour the market for a few more offensive skill players, I think that would be a good decision as well. I, I think so, too. Anybody stood out to you so far this year in terms of the portal work? Not, not even their traditional recruiting class, but you know, teams that have conquered the transfer portal maybe that have really impressed you going into 2024. So it's, uh, it's Ole Miss, and I know that Lane has, you know, dubbed himself the portal king, but to me it's more specific than that. Uh, two factors. Number one, the defense that Ole Miss had this year, some of the numbers checked out okay, but it just it never felt like they were incredibly sound or incredibly talented. He went and got the best pass rushers from, from Florida, 
He went and got the, the second-best pass rusher from Tennessee. And then he got Walter Nolan, the defensive lineman from Texas A&M. And when you see all of these high-profile transfers all on the defensive side of the ball, that is a coach in Lane Kiffin who says, okay, we need to shore up this with instant impact talent, not guys that are going to be ready two to three years down the line, but guys that are ready to go now. And the reason, the second piece of this is I think that Ole Miss is looking at its schedule. And remember, this is going to be the first year, 16-team SEC, no division, that you really are going to have some teams with favorable draws, some teams with unfavorable draws. I think Ole Miss has a favorable draw. And so in an expanded 12-team playoff, uh, I think Lane Kiffin's looking at the landscape and realizing if we can shore up the defensive side of the football, we can be a playoff team next year. And that's, uh, that seems to be the movement. So that's the one that probably stands out the most to me. But, I'm, you know, I'm not ignoring you know, even some of the portal additions that I have in, in my backyard back home in Raleigh where, you know, you go get Jordan Waters uh, from Duke, uh, somebody who got 12 touchdowns on the season. And NC State and Dave Doran, like you and I have discussed each of the last two weeks, they also have a little bit of a favorable schedule draw. So, you know, you that's when you go and you go hard on the portal is when you look at your schedule and you look at the landscape of your conference and you think if we can answer this, this, and this in our depth chart, we can be a top three team because if you can be a top three team in a power conference, you've got a shot to contend for the 12-team playoff. How, how much does it hurt? for NC State to not get that 10th win last night. I know, again, it's an exhibition game, but it, it's a 10-win season. Those those haven't happened nearly at all in the history of that program. Would have been, I believe, the second time ever, and they had that opportunity against the, in the Holiday Bowl that was obviously called off, and last night they, they couldn't get it. And I, I expect they're going to be pretty good next year, but not getting that 10th win and losing that game last night. What's the real you know fallout of that, if there is any? So this is my uh, my sense is that means more to fans than it does to the players and the coaches within that program. Um, I I think they know what's going on and whether or not it was you know they, it would be cool to do. It's a good goal. It's something we're trying to do. You know, all these things are probably being said, but falling short does not, and especially falling short in a game where they just really were hung in there tough and uh, and pulled out all the stops. I, I think that. You still, you're not devastated by the fact that you fell short of this goal because while 10 win seasons are rare for the NC State football program, you know, what's really important to them is competing for conference championships. And 10 wins or no 10 wins, you know, that, that doesn't really change the fact that they fell short of competing for a conference championship, something they want to come back for in 2024. So, yeah, for the record books that maybe would have crystallized the 2023 season, uh, a season where I do think Dave Doran did his best coaching work, but uh, for the players and, again, the coaches in that program, I kind of think that you fall short, you're really disappointed, but you're really disappointed about the game itself more so than you know not being able to get those 10 wins. How does Mac Brown continue to sell optimism and excitement for the Carolina program after what happened a couple of nights ago? And, I, again, I want to point out, 18 players missing. It's the shell of the team that we saw this year in a way, but another slide down the, the end of the regular season, a blowout loss in the bowl game, and the fans in Charlotte just didn't show up, Chip. Like, how does he sell optimism going into next year? I mean, yeah, yeah like, you, you do it the same way that any coach does it, right? I mean, you got no losses when we get together for media days in July, and you do everything you can to be able to highlight the aspects of your team that you think are going to be really good. And I, I, I felt like we heard a lot. You know, he said 
I'm not going to badmouth our fans, so I'm going to compliment their fans. So the only optimism he has when it comes to the fans uh, are, you know, complimenting West Virginia for bringing about 30000 to the bank. Um, you know, he, he had some interesting comments to Inside Carolina where he even included the note that, you know, he, he seeks out the – you know, he seeks out the opinions of the top six to ten boosters. And I don't know whether that was a fundraising effort to try to get some boosters to get their money up so they can get up into the top six or top ten and, and get get to, to grace themselves with Mac Brown's presence. But it's uh it's it's a time it's an interesting time for North Carolina football because it was a continuation of the Mac Brown trend of these late season disappointments as a sort of a streak of weeks. But it's also a continuation of the modern North Carolina football trend of losing in bowl games to power conference opponents. I mean, it's, it is kind of now a little bit of something that they've got to wear because we don't have uh, a lot of examples in the last couple, uh, last decade for sure, uh, of North Carolina showing up and answering the call. Uh, and, and especially that West Virginia game has to count. Hey, two quick things, Chip. I'll let you go. And I just want to stay on college football because cer- certainly in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll be moving away from it entirely. But uh, Virginia Tech, they hammered Tulane a couple of days ago in awful weather up there in Annapolis. They win the game 41 to 20. They finish seven and six. Um, nationally, no one is, not no one. Most people aren't paying attention to it, but Virginia Tech fans suddenly very, very excited for 2024. The quarterback, the receivers, they're all coming back. Brent Prize defense is returning realistic expectations for that group going into year three after a pretty impressive year two. Yeah, I don't have their schedule pulled up in front of me, so I'm not going to be able to like pull a, a record off the top of my head, but there is not a game where Virginia Tech should feel like it's, it is entirely outclassed, where if it plays its best football and catches a couple breaks, they're not going to be in a position to uh, go and try and win the game in the fourth quarter. You mean, give you, the non-con? Tired... you mean give you the non-con real quick? Non-conference schedule, Vanderbilt, Marshall, ODU, Rutgers. That's the non-con. That, yeah, that, that should be four, right? What's the conference? Uh, conference, Virgi- on the road, you get Duke on the road, Miami on the road, Stanford on the road, Syracuse on the road, and then at home you got Virginia, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Clemson. That, that's your schedule. That's that. Uh, that's the one where you could. I mean, yeah, where do you where do you set it, uh, Mister Mister Virginia Polytechnical Institute <laughs> University graduate? Listen, because I'm a. Bro- I, I mean, <laughs> you, you can you can you can come out there and you can talk me into nine and maybe even flirting with something else. Yeah. Uh, double digit win seasons, just you know, hearing that, hearing that live on the air. But it's uh, the the floor has been raised in such a significant way. The, the you talk about optimism and momentum and, and sort of where things are going culturally. Uh, it seemed like Brent Pry was selling something, and you weren't sure whether or not he was going to be able to continue to you know build that out in a way where he was going to be like. How about this? Jeff Collins was a salesman, right? Yep, yep. But he never backed it up on the field. And Brent Pry feels like we are getting a different experience where he too was selling something but he seems to be really backing it up. And uh, the way that that team competed, I mean, you win a game, bowl game by 20 points when you fumble it about 12 times. That says something about your ability to uh, not not let the small mistakes get in the way of your success. No, I'm with you. I, I, look, I'm a broken man over the last eight years, so I'm not making any big predictions, but I, I will say there's a lot of optimism going into next year. And so speaking of, and final thing here, I want to make sure we hit another in-state program. 
Uh, we were talking about Duke yesterday. They win their bowl game. They beat Troy. It's a good win, especially given all that program's been through this offseason. The Manny Diaz thing I still find to be very bizarre. I don't know if it works or it doesn't work, but as Smoke pointed out, they've got Malik Murphy, the Texas transfer, coming into quarterback this team, we think. That's a big old boy at quarterback. 6'5", 250. Um, I, I could see this going well for Manny Diaz in year one. What do you think about that combo there? Yeah, I got the sense that when Manny Diaz was hired, we might be talking about somebody who was ready to play in the NIL era and maybe someone who was going to have access to resources that were going to allow the Blue Devils to be able to go toe-to-toe with other Power 5 programs for coveted prospects in the transfer portal. And while I have no knowledge that I can report about any NIL arrangements that were made for Malik Murphy, the fact that Malik Murphy is picking Duke kind of leads me to believe that there's at least some NIL component that allowed Duke to not only sell the opportunities of being there uh, at Duke University and not only being a part of an offense that I do think will allow quarterbacks to be productive as they're plucking from that Rhett Lashley SMU tree. I mean, you, you get the commitment of Malik Murphy. It, it means that you were able to sell a little bit more than just the educational opportunities. And so that's where I think if you're a Duke fan, and especially if you were puzzled by the hire of Manny Diaz, then this is, gives you a little bit more confidence because you know he's not being brought in because of his excellence in, in when it comes to in-game coaching uh, because his very short track record has plenty of examples where that was not great, but he is a good recruiter and he knows how to recruit for the big dogs and against the big dogs. And so when you, when you get the commitment of Malik Murphy, I'm assuming that, uh, that you were able to go toe-to-toe with some of those and winning that battle is a good sign. It'll be tougher. You're, you're, you're getting a different pool when it comes to the guys that are coming out of high school. But in the transfer portal, there could be some real opportunities there. Chip Patterson, Happy New Year. We're going to flip it over to CBS Sports Network during the break so we see your smiling face on TV here in about, what, 40 minutes, right? Yep, that's it. I love it. All right, buddy. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Happy New Year. Sounds good. Y'all be well. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan.